Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 21st chapter. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we come to this time of prayer today with humble hearts, thankful to be in your mighty presence and worshiping you as one body and one voice. We praise you with every fiber of our being and lift your name above all others. You are the one true God, the great I Am, author of our salvation and lover of our souls. We give you all honor and glory as we lift up our prayers to you today. Lord, we celebrate with Craig, Joe, and Caitlin Liscomb as they welcomed James Curtis into their family. We look forward with great joy to raising and nurturing him as we welcome him into our church family. We also rejoice this morning with the families who have brought their young children for baptism into your church. For little Owen, Sylvie, and Nora as they are brought into this worshiping community to be loved and nurtured. We come alongside their families and pray that we will be faithful in raising them up to know you and love you with all their hearts and to be your willing servants. We ache with those who are in pain today, for those who are under a doctor's care and for those whose hearts and spirits may be in pain. We lift up Bob Marcus, Barb Marcus, Leon Smock, Betty Hansen, and Virginia Downs and pray for your healing hands to hold them and provide the strength and comfort that they need in their days of recovery. Lord, we pray for our community, for those who are in need and for those who are walking in darkness. May we be the beacon of light, your representatives, as we reach out and serve in your name. And during this holiest of weeks, may we repent of those things that come between us and you as we walk towards the pain and darkness that surround Good Friday. May we keep our eyes on the cross and the joy of Easter Sunday when you conquered death and sin for all time. Lord, we lift up all these things to you this morning. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Pastor Keith mentioned in the prayer that um, I've been away on a renewal leave. And so if you've been here in the last four weeks, hopefully you noticed I was missing. If you've never been here before, you're thinking, well, that's a guy that's always here. So, uh, hi. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chris. I always trust some love is going to come my way. So, thank you. And I, I did want to tell you a, a few things. I'm not going to be like that guy that goes away on a on a trip and say, you know, I'm going to tell you everything about it and take the whole time. You know, I'm going to just wait for you guys to ask me about it. Hey, thank you for asking, Mark. It was great. I'm just going to tell you one thing uh, about how it was. I, I found out that um, by going to, uh, I went to four congregations that were relatively ahead of us a few years in, in uh, uh, having one facility and then building a second facility and uh, using both, actually, they're still in their transition time, to see how their congregational DNA was. So I went to Ankeny, Iowa, Caledonia, Michigan, Sedalia, Missouri, Fairview Heights, Illinois, and had a wonderful experience and learned a couple things. One, we are a really, really good church. And two, yeah, yeah, so yay. And, and secondly... All that they are doing to expand the kingdom by growing from several, you know, hundred to thousands in worship are, are, are able, we are able to do as well. So I was very encouraged by that and we'll be imparting uh, some of you, uh, you know, as we sit as a great church and aspire to be a, a good church and aspire to be a great church. So uh, come along for the ride. You saw all this stuff about um, Holy Week and I really encourage you and admonish you to, to add something to your week, whether it's a Lenten moment or all of those or the Friday night or Thursday night services or afternoon services really add something because we need mileposts in our lives. We need times that are different than others. And Holy Week in the Christian calendar provides that opportunity where a lot of things not just happening at the church, but a lot of opportunities for you to plug your, uh, uh, the, line, the line of your life right into Christ. And, and we encourage you to come to uh, those things as God moves you and participate uh, as you feel driven. Now, Palm Sunday is the celebration often in the Christian church of a parade that happens on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you, and it's important for us to learn, that there were two parades that day in Jerusalem. One was huge, and it had a very clear purpose. And one was smaller, and it too had a distinct and clear purpose. One came from the west side of town, and one came from the east. Let me tell you about the parade that comes from the west. The parade that comes from the west has a purpose of intimidating the people of Jerusalem. You see, during the time of Passover, which is one of the high feasts of the Jews, more than forty to 200,000 people, Jews, would come into Jerusalem. They would add themselves to the population of Jerusalem. Now, to give you some perspective... Jerusalem at that time was 320 acres. That's half of a farm section. To put another 200,000 people in there, beyond the ones that already, the 60,000 or so that already lived there, there was a ton of people. So, because that many people were coming there for their holy pilgrimage, the Romans thought, what a great time to flex our muscles. So the Roman governor Pilate puts together a parade every year, Passover, to intimidate the masses. He lives typically not in Jerusalem, but out at Caesarea by the sea. He lives by the Mediterranean Sea. But during this time, he says, we're going to go have a show of force. So this is what happens. First, a hundred drummers begin the march, drumming all the way the journey from Caesarea by the sea up the hill 
to the holy city of Jerusalem. Behind the drummers, there's a company of banner bearers carrying all the flags and pennants and banners of the Roman Empire. Behind them, behind them is a battalion of foot soldiers geared up in their leather armor, wearing those distinctive Roman soldier helmets, carrying a spear or a sword, as was their purpose in the battle, and their shields. Behind the foot soldiers was a battalion of archers, all at the ready, their quivers full, ready to strike out for Caesar or their governor, Pilate. Behind the archers was a battalion of horses, marching in lockstep with those drums. Behind them was Pilate the governor, on his steed, surrounded by a hundred or so of his soldiers, his most trusted soldiers, and then behind him, another battalion of infantry. All of these coming to Jerusalem, all of these marching with the simple purpose to intimidate. All morning long on the day we called Palm Sunday, the people in Jerusalem heard the beat of the drums coming closer, closer, closer. And now, in the western gate of the city, the parade enters. And as the parade enters, life stops. People are bound, because of the lack of space, to put their face towards the the parade that's coming through. And there's thousands of people in it. There There is a smooth that prevails across the city. But the mood is not celebration. This is not the kind of parade that you take your little woven basket to and and hope the soldiers throw some candy in or a fig leaf. That's not this kind of parade. The mood is somber. The people are quiet. Intimidation saturates the human heart of all in Jerusalem. No one moves a tongue to shout out a praise. No one takes their cloak off and throws it on the road in front of Pilate and his minions. No one rips a palm branch off and and waves it. The drum beats. The feet march. And Jerusalem collectively sloops its shoulders and bows its head, not in reverence, but in resignation. Message received. The message of this prayer is, of this parade is, We're in charge, and the world is dark. Now, the second parade is very different. It's coming from the east. It's not about intimidation. It's about revelation. Just like this other prayer, this other parade, it has a distinct purpose. Just like this other parade, it's not spontaneous. Just like this other parade, it's filled with symbolism. It's it's rich and ripe with, with the symbols. But there are no drums. No soldiers, no banners, no instruments of war. In fact, there's only one participant in the parade. And he comes riding not on an instrument of war, but on the animal of peace, the donkey. This is no accident. This is pre-planned. You see, Jesus enters on a donkey's colt to proclaim his messianic royalty. You saw what Keith read. It's, it's a revelatory prophetic message that was given by the prophet Zechariah 500 years prior to Jesus. It says in, in Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice, you people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. 
Yet he is humble and riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Not only does he come on a donkey's colt, but he comes in the eastern gate of Jerusalem. This is not happenstance, and it's not the only gate on that side of the holy city. The eastern gate is the gate that all rabbinic teachings, all uh, Jewish teaching proclaimed it would be through that gate that the Messiah would come. So Jesus, on the donkey's foal, brings his parade right in the eastern gate and up to the temple mount. Now this prophecy, this rabbinic teaching is so thick and rich that through the centuries, those who opposed the Jews have tried to stop anyone from coming in the eastern gate. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, the the eastern gate is completely bricked in. You, You couldn't pass through there if you were a fly. It's a wall, not a gate. The Muslims did that so that they could prevent the Messiah if he wanted to enter through the eastern gate that he, they didn't think he could get through there. Not only that, but to further make it difficult, the Muslims built a cemetery a thousand years ago right between the Mount of Olives and the eastern gate. No good God-loving Jew that thought they were the Messiah would walk through a cemetery because that would defile them for more than a week's time, and they couldn't possibly go in to the temple. So understand this. Jesus knows right exactly what he's doing. And, and so in front of him, people went spreading their cloaks. They took off their best jackets and threw them before. Do you know what this means, people? In our day, that means some of you would take off your best Iowa Hawkeye gear and throw it on the ground. Some of you would take your panther gear, your cyclones ground, and, and, and let the donkey ride right upon it. Now, the reason that they did that was, like they did for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, when he was becoming the king, they, didn't, they felt Jesus was such a worthy man, such a holy man, that his feet should not even touch the grass, the ground. So they threw their cloaks out in front of him. And they shouted, Hosanna, which literally is translated to save now. In the Psalms, we see this sentence, Please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're calling on him. They're throwing down their coats, and then they do one more thing. Now, this is not a big deal for us because in Iowa, we cut branches all the time. But see, a palm leaf was not used in this parade just because it's handy. There was some significance to this palm leaf from a Jewish nationalistic sense. Let me give you an example. I think a picture is worth a thousand words. The the Jews in that parade were doing something similar to if we did this. That if we walked out in front of of Jesus, a religious leader, just doing this. And then, not just waving them, but then carpeting the ground with it. Now, do you think that if we carpeted the ground with our beloved stars and stripes in America, that there'd be a reaction to that? There'd be a grave reaction, a a forceful reaction. So when the Jews in the parade that Jesus was a part of were ripping off uh, little, little palm branches and waving them and throwing them out, they knew exactly what they were doing. When, when Israel was picking a flag... It was a dead heat between the star of David and the palm branch as to what would be on the flag. And so when they waved these and threw them down, what they were saying clearly and what Jesus was encouraging them to say. 
is that this is a king that is above all other kings. This is a Lord that is above all other lords. Let that not be mistaken. He fully reveals himself there. You see, both prades had a clear purpose. The parade of Pilate that came from the West, the Roman governor, was simply to say the Romans are in charge. You are not. The consequences of resistance will be dire and significant. And the parade of Jesus comes from the East saying, See the Lord in your midst. For this is a revelation of God incarnate. And anybody that speaks another language knows that carne needs, means flesh. This is a God with flesh on him. So when you see Jesus Christ, you are seeing the holy God in flesh and bones. So the point is, the, earth, the, the God of earth and heaven, the Lord of earth and heaven is present and in charge. Now this last month, Pastor Keith and, and Simon have been talking to you about how Jesus is a friend to us and the many ways that he can tangibly express that to us. On Palm Sunday, we see that Jesus is a friend who reveals himself to us. He shows us who he really is. Now, revealing ourselves completely is always a little fearful, isn't it? How many of you would like to come take my spot here this morning and tell everything about you? Not just the things you want us to know, but all the things you've thought, all the things you've got. Oh, we have a volunteer. Good. All the things that God has... You can put your hands down. Thank you. But most of us would choose not to tell everything that we've thought, everywhere we've been on a computer, everything that we've read, every sin that we've committed. We would choose not to do that because we're afraid that when people know who we truly are, they only have two choices. One is to receive us, and one is to reject us. I've told this to to youth for years and years, and you've probably heard this too, that I believe within all of us there are three people residing in regards to sharing ourselves. The first one is the person we want everyone to see. Put on a little facade, don't we? Put on a little persona. The the person we want to see, I, I was talking, or I was downstairs in our basement not too long ago, and one of our women came by, and another one said of her, oh, she's always so bubbly, always so happy. And that's exactly what she was putting out. But because I'm a pastor, I know that's not what's all that's in here because some other things are going on. And I have a friend that if he stood right here right now, you would imagine that he was the most confident person in the world. Yet I know that at some level, he has got a lot of dissonance in his soul because we put ourselves out. I mean, the reason that, that Supercuts and, and Mary Kay exist is we like to put out there what we want to put out, right? I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, Teresa and I were at home. I was going on some various errands, and I said, hey, I'm going to be running late. Can you stop by Fairway and pick up a gallon of milk? And she says this. She says, I can't go to the store. I haven't showered. It would not even stop any of us, would it? I, I said, husbands, pay attention, don't say this. I said, so? She says, well, I don't want to go out like this. I said, look, you're from Marion. The, 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 the guy that runs Fairway is a member of our church. It's time for Marion to see who you really are. <clears throat> I was wrong. I got the milk myself. 
But, but we, we tend not to want to go out there. We tend not to want to completely reveal ourselves. We, we want to kind of control what other people see of us because we, we know that once we reveal ourselves to people, there's only two choices. They shall either reject us or they will receive us. You know, the second person that, that, that lives within us is that person we want to be. The, the person we really want to be. See, this is the part of us that knows that God has set high standards for us. This is the part of us that knows that there are morals and values and places that we can be reaching for, <clears throat> but we have chosen to live much lower some places and sometimes. We have chosen to live a life that doesn't aim always at the highest place. And this is the part of us, and hear this carefully and closely, this is the part of us that does not need to believe whether darkness and sin exist because it lives close to those places every single day. It doesn't have to believe them because it can see them from where it's at. It's there in the present darkness where we do daily battle with good and evil, desiring the light to overcome our darkness. And on our worst days, we think we can, by our own devices, be the person that we want to be. But on our best days, we know we cannot be the person that we want to be without receiving help from beyond us. See, and one thing I know for sure is that most of us really don't want to reveal where we fall short. We really just don't. And, and I think we need to talk more about this in church. We need to talk more about our struggles with <clears throat> sin and sanity and salvation because I think it really helped the Lord's mission. And I believe it would grow us as a people and as individuals. So there's these two people residing in us, the person that we want others to see and the person we want to. But I also I know this is true, that, that within all of us, there is this genuine, authentic person who we really are, the person that we really are. And deep down, we know exactly who we are. We know everything about us. We know our inclinations. We know our, our objectives. We know our foibles. We know everything about us. And so does God. He knows everything about us, which is why he cries out about us, because he sees us clearly. Others may not see us for exactly as who we are, but Jesus sees us, and he will never reject us. This is the gospel truth. This is one of the reasons he rides in to Jerusalem that day, is he wants us to know that no matter who you are, you are received, and he will take you. He may not leave you the way he found you, but the way you are is good enough to come to him as. And you know we're still terrified. Not that God will know us, but that others might. Now, I tell you all this because I want to tell you a very simple thing, and that's what all this is about. Jesus is a friend who reveals all three. He reveals the person that he wants you to see. He wants you to see in him a savior and deliverer. He wants you to see in him someone that can take you from where you are to where you need to be. He reveals the person that, that he wants to be, which is to say he wants to be your friend. He wants to be your constant companion and guide. He never, ever wants to leave you, nor does he ever want you to leave him. And he reveals the person that he really is, that he is God incarnate in the flesh, and he is able. He is able for whatever you need him for. See, Jesus is a friend that reveals himself to you because he knows your darkness. Sometimes, even when you're in deep darkness, even when you're in blackness so black you don't think you can see anywhere, 
Jesus knows that darkness in your soul, and he comes to, to not only acknowledge that it exists in your world, but he comes and reveals himself as a light that is available to overcome your darkness, to extinguish your darkness, to push it back. He reveals himself fully to you so that you can make an informed choice as to whether to receive him <clears throat> or reject him. It is as simple as that. And frankly, I've known many people that have done both. If you reject Jesus, it's also very simple. It simply means this, that you don't ascribe to him as the Lord and master of the universe. It's that you reject his revelation as the son of God and you choose to live life on your own. Millions live this way. Not surprisingly, as a Christian pastor, I admonish you not to. I invite you to receive Jesus Christ into your life and heart. And it starts with this. It starts with an acknowledgement of where we are. And since I'm a picture guy, for me it starts with this. God is here. He is high and holy, perfect, wonderful, and there's nothing in him but light. And we, who were created in his image, over time have moved away from God. And we've let this huge chasm grow between us. And that chasm is known as our own sin, our own sadness, our own distancing ourselves from God. And that in a moment in time, sometimes we say, I want to be back with God. And so we spend our time in our lives sometimes doing good works, thinking that we can build a bridge from where we are to where God is. Or we read philosophy or we take Bible classes or something like that, thinking that if we just know enough about God, we can build a bridge from where we are to where he is. Or maybe if we just, you know, give more to the church of our time and our efforts, of our money, we we think that will build us a bridge. But I tell you this, that from where we are to where God is, there is no bridge we can build for we can neither build its length or its elevation that is necessary to span that chasm. There's only one way to get across the gap. And Jesus invites you to take it because his life, you see, is the bridge from where we are at to where God is. And if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are invited to walk across the bridge so that you might live with God in his light and power and love always. Your life will not become perfect, but you will be surrounded by the perfect. Your problems will not go away, but perfect solutions will be nearby in the heart and mind of God. This we know is true, but we can't do it ourselves. So Jesus, to reveal himself, gets a donkey, sends his disciples on this little clandestine mission a couple miles away to Bethphage. They come back with a donkey and he rides it through the eastern gate. We don't know how many people there were in the parade, certainly not as many as the other one. But there were people around and they were certainly proclaiming him because they rejected him not and when he revealed himself, they received him. And I admonish you and encourage you to do the same today. Now a quick word before we go towards our close. If you have been in church for 60 years or 60 minutes. It matters not. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe today is simply your day. Maybe today is the day that you simply need to say, Lord, I've heard all about you. I felt it in the singing of the songs, the praying of the prayers. I, I sensed it in the reading of that scripture. And you know, I need a milepost in, in my life, Lord. So today I'm just going to claim you because he will claim you back. You can't shut him off. As soon as you receive him, you'll never be without him. Maybe you've never done that before. 
Maybe you just need a moment in prayer where you say, hey, today's my day, I, April 13th, 2014, and I can put this marker in, in my life as a, as a moment where I said, Lord, I choose you, I receive you, I choose you. Maybe you've only been here 60 minutes, maybe you've been here 60 years, I don't know. Maybe you've been here 60 minutes or 60 years and, and, and you think, you know, there were times in my life where my, the flame of my faith was red hot. It was burning like a red hot coal and everything about me was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My life was immersed in him and that flame has died. I have ceased reading my Bible. I do not reflect on the scriptures daily. I do not pray to my Lord. I need my flame restored. And if that's you today, let today be your day too. You simply need to make declaration of it. And at the end of the service, I'll be down here and around. And if you made that, and we've had several throughout the day that have made those declarations or receptions, come up and just shake my hand. And that's what I want. I'd love to have shake your hand because I think it's the most important decision you could make. And, and we can seal it with that because often we just need to tell another person, I have decided today is my day. So I'm going to say a prayer. And during that prayer, if you feel that's your moment, I want you to, my prayer is not special. It's just aimed at the right target. And if your heart's aimed at the right target, today's your day, then receive him. Let's pray today. Lord God, this morning we woke up and we walked outside and we saw that what was brown grass yesterday in the blink of an eye turned to green. And we know that's a miracle that you put in front of us. And in greater measure, we know that while our souls sometimes are filled with darkness and we feel far from you in the blink of an eye. If we simply call out, we receive you. Our lives too will be fresh with new life. And so Lord, this morning, several of us have come today and some of us sought nothing. Some of us hoped for just great singing of the songs. But others of us were seeking something, Lord. The rekindling of a fire or an opportunity to say, this is who I am. And if that's you, as you hear my voice praying, I just want you to pray alongside me this simple prayer. Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me for thinking I could do life on my own. I apologize and I am sorry for the distance I've put between you and me. Thank you for forgiving me of all your, my sins and bring me into your light. I invite you and your Holy Spirit into my life to live and glow in me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if that's your prayer, I hope, that some, I hope you'll come up and say, Pastor Mike, today was my day, and God bless you all. Take a look at this. Hi, my name is Greg Tallman, and I'd like this morning to uh, welcome you to worship. And uh, one of the reasons that uh, my wife and I love coming here to Marion United Methodist Church is the youth programs. Our uh, children first got involved with the youth program here at the United Methodist Church, and uh, we started attending soon after. Uh, other reasons that we enjoy this church is the adult uh, education classes, and we really enjoy that the, that the ministry throughout the church is all biblically based. So these are among the many reasons we support the church, and we would like to welcome you and ask you to support this church as well. So will the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 